0: We are going to be going through the book of Judges. We're not going to cover the whole book, but a good chunk of it to get you excited to study it on your own. And there will be some things that you'll be thinking, did those things really happen? Or is the pastor just making stuff up? But as we go along, it really is in the Word of God. So hopefully we can keep our heads down a lot and be reading the text as we are going through the book of Judges. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I just ask that you would do something that we may not expect through this book. That you would cut us in a good way. I just ask that you would start pointing out some areas in our lives today, as uncomfortable as it may mean for us, that we may not want to pay attention to. We may have been ignoring for a long time. And I just ask as we turn our attention to those things, we would find forgiveness in Jesus. So, Lord, speak to us now through your word. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. I grew up in Dallas, Texas. And my job as part of the family was to mow the yard. And I'm sure you know this, Texas can get really hot. Those 100 degrees we were having here uh, this past month really are nothing compared to what I was growing up with in Texas. I remember one time we were hitting 113 degrees. It was hot there and I was out there mowing the yard. As I mowed the front yard, it had a lot of dirt because of all the playing of sports I would do in the yard. So I'm pretty much mowing the front yard with a dirt patch And dust is flying everywhere, and I'm sweating, and so that is sticking to me. And I don't know if you know this, but mowers used to have catchers. I know you know that. And when you empty the catcher, you emptied it into a trash can with a bag, and when you dump it in there, it all flies up everywhere, getting all over me. My arms were all black. So that's the front yard. I turn my attention to the backyard, and I guarantee you, you've never mowed a backyard like this because we had dogs. And my job was to clean up after the dogs, which I didn't often do, but decided to mow instead. In addition to that, my dad thought it was a great idea to have the washing machine empty into the backyard. He set up this type of thing where water would just squirt throughout the backyard. So I am mowing grass, dogs, and suds and bubbles in the backyard. This is no joke. So after I was done with the front and done with the back, I had one more piece to do, and that would be the alley. You know what an alley is, right? Uh, where cars would go, the garbage men would go. Um, but I didn't want to mow the alley. Because I was sick and tired and grossed out by the front and the backyard. And so I ignored the alley, go inside, look, mom. Front door the front yard's beautiful backyard looks great. They're saying, good job, son. You're, you're such a great son. And yet I continued to ignore the alley. And I did this time and time again. Front yard, good job. Backyard, good job. Alley, what they don't know won't hurt them. Over and over and over again throughout the summer. Now you can probably see where I'm going with this uh, to a parallel with our lives where we can look pretty impressive in obeying God, showing up to church, singing, the front yard looks great, The, the backyard looks great. We are doing our duty, what it looks like to be a Christian, but many of us can't acknowledge that there is a portion of our lives at times that we ignore that we can call our alley. It's something that God wants us to do that we leave undone or something we should not be doing that we participate in and we ignore it. No one can see it. The fence is high. Front yard good. Backyard good. Alley doesn't matter. And so if I was to sit down with you one-on-one and ask you, what is the alley in your life that you're ignoring? Would it be a habitual sin? Would it be a relationship that you do not want to deal with? Would it be something that God is calling you to do that you are setting aside? Hopefully by this morning, you will get brave enough with me to start addressing those alleys in your life because get this, if you don't, I guarantee you, you will have consequences. You may have lived 30 years without dealing with that. And you're thinking, I'm fine. No, you're not. Because there is consequences for ignoring certain areas of our life, especially areas the Lord wants us to walk in holiness in. And this morning, we're going to be introduced to a group of people who did a great job mowing the front and the back. And yet they ignored the alley and the consequences were devastating. The book of Judges. Let's look at it this morning. We have a group of people called the Israelites. And we're going to jump right into the book of Judges. I'm not big on introductions. I like to just get into the text and learn along the way. So let's go. Judges 1. Now it came about after the death of Joshua that the sons of Israel inquired of the Lord saying, who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? Now, what's really interesting, I want you to listen how the book of Joshua opens. It sounds very similar. Listen to the book of Joshua, the book right before Judges. Now, it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant. So you have Joshua, the book, starting off with Moses dying and Joshua stepping up to start to chip away and conquer the land. And now Joshua is dead and the question is, who is gonna go up for us to start to chip away so that we can conquer the land that God promised us? If you've read much of the Old Testament, it may shock you a bit to learn That God wanted the Israelites to go into the land and not shake hands with the people there, but to, I'm just gonna tell you, but to slaughter them completely, to wipe them out, annihilate them. And you think, well, that's horrible. But if you read some verses there, you'll see that God was patient generation after generation after generation as the evil and the land reached a peak and God's like, I'm coming in there, I'm bringing judgment and I'm giving my people the land. All the Israelites had to do was go in and conquer and take the land. Let me read this to you from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 20, verse 16 and 18. However, in the cities of the nations, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Do not leave anything alive that breathes. Completely destroy them. The Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. As the Lord your God has commanded you. Otherwise, They will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods and you will sin against the Lord your God. So God is gonna use the Israelites as the instrument of wrath against the Canaanites. And if Israel did not deal with them and destroy the people of the land, then they would be contaminated by their gods and sin against the Lord. Well, let's see how they do after the death of Joshua. Who's going to go up and lead? Verse two. The Lord said, Judah should go up, and I have given the land into his hand. Then Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me into the territory allotted me, that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I in turn will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him. So Judah goes up and he asks for help of another tribe, the Simeonites, and they're asking the Simeonites, come with us into the territory, our territory, fight against the Canaanites. We're gonna wipe them out. And then when we're done, we'll go into your territory and we'll wipe them out because the Canaanite people were all over the place, not just in one spot. Sounds like a good plan. Verse four, Judah went up and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hands and they defeated 10,000 men at Bezek. They found Adonai Bezek in, the, in Bezek and fought against him, and they defeated the Canaanites and the Parasites. But Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. So when Judah attacked, the Lord gave Canaanites and the Parasites in their hands. And they struck down 10,000 men, and they found Adonai Bezek, fought against him, routed the Canaanites and the Parasites, and they took the leader, cut off his thumbs and big toes. Now, for family worship this week, we had a great time with the kids talking about how would you function without your thumbs and your big toes? And so I said, try to eat without your thumb. See how it goes. Try to shoot a bow and arrow without your thumbs. Try to run sprints without your big toes. And you may think, well, God is so cruel to have his people do this to this leader. Ah, but look at verse 7. Let's see if it's really cruel after all. Adonai Bezek said, 70 kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to gather up scraps under my table as I have done so God has repaid me. So they brought him to Jerusalem and he died there. So he's thinking, huh, this is what I used to do to others and now God is paying me back for the wrong I have done. You need to understand that the people in the land are wicked and they are to be destroyed. Verse eight. Then the sons of Judah fought against Jerusalem and captured it and struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. Afterward, the sons of Judah went down to fight against Canaanites living in the hill country in the Negev and the low limb. So Judah went against the Canaanites who lived in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba and they struck Shishai and Ahaman and Talmud. So the men of Judah attacked Jerusalem. They took it. They put the city to the sword. They set it on fire. They're doing a great job. They are mowing the front yard. They are mowing the backyard. All is good so far. Verse 11. Then from there, he went against the inhabitants of Deber. Now the name of Deber formerly was Kiriath-sephir. And Caleb said, the one who attacks Kiriath-sephir and it captures it, I will give him my daughter, Aksa, for a wife. Remember Caleb? faithful warrior, very similar to Joshua, spies out the land. Remember that guy brought back the good report? Well, so he was old school faithful to the Lord. He said, you know, I'm going to give my daughter in marriage to whoever would conquer the Canaanites at Kiriath Sefer. I wonder who it's going to be. Verse 13, Othniel, the son of Canez, Caleb's younger brother, captured it, so he gave his daughter Oxa for a wife. Kind of keeping it in the family, the kissing cousins concept here. Verse 14. Did you pay attention to that there? So, then it came about when she came to him that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. Then she alighted from her donkey and Caleb said to her, what do you want? She said, give me a blessing since you have given me the land of the Negev. Give me also springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. All right, you may be thinking, who cares? I mean, she wants some water. Water's very valuable. She wants the springs. He loves his daughter. He gives it to her. You're like, why is that there? Who cares? Because what you're going to see at the beginning of a book is not what you see at the end. Here you have a father blessing his daughter. But as we progress through the book, we are going to see a father make a very foolish vow and he has to kill his daughter. The book of Judges will get progressively worse, graphically worse. And so if you're a kid in here, maybe you shouldn't be reading Judges. That will make you want to read it all the more. It gets progressively worse. Verse 16. The descendants of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up from the city of Palms with the sons of Judah to the wilderness of Judah, which is in the south of Arad. And they went and lived there with the people. Then Judah went with Simeon, his brother, and they struck the Canaanites, living in Zephath, and utterly destroyed it. So the name of the city was called Hormah. And Judah took Gaza with its territory, and Ashkelon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory. All right, This is amazing. Up to this point in the book, you should just get rid of the rest of judges and say, good job. They're cranking front yard, backyard, doing a great job. In fact, the Lord is pleased with them. Look at the very beginning of verse 19. Now the Lord was with Judah. He's with them. He's got their back. He's got their front. He's taking care of the people of the land. He is with them in their conquest. They're doing the right things. They're getting rid of the Canaanites. The front yard's getting taken care of. The backyard's getting taken. They are obedient. Not so much now. Get ready for this downturn. This is a serious downturn. Back to verse 19. Now the Lord was with Judah, and they took possession of the hill country. Here we go, here we go. But they could, you should underline every single time we see this, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had iron chariots. What? Since when are iron chariots a problem for God? At the very beginning of Judges, he says, I've given the land into your hand. If you look at Joshua 17, verse 18, he says, Though the Canaanites have iron chariots and though they are strong, you can drive them out. Oh, my goodness, iron chariots are not a problem for God. But, you know, as that famous Bible verse says, God will never give you any more than you can handle. That's not in the Bible. In fact, if you read the Bible, it seems to say that God will constantly, all the time, every single day, give you far more than you can handle. Are we reading the same Bible? Because God is not expecting you to deal with the iron chariots. He'll deal with them. And there may be some things in your life right now you say, man, I can't deal with it. These are iron chariots in my life. I can't believe God allowed it to come to me. It's not about you dealing with them. It's about you being dependent upon God. And he said, I will deal with them. But the Israelites said, no, we don't think you will. We have a better way. And so they did not drive out the people, which is a big uh-oh. Verse 20. Likewise, the house of Joseph went up against i uh, sorry, verse 20. Then they gave Hebron to Caleb as Moses had promised and he drove out from there the three sons of Anak. But the sons of Benjamin, you should underline it every time you see it, did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites who live with the sons of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. So here we go. You got the people of the land who are evil, living with God's people. They're mixing together. They're not driving them out. What could possibly go wrong? Verse 22. Likewise, the house of Joseph went up against Bethel, and the Lord is with them. The house of Joseph spied out Bethel. Now the name of the city was formerly Luz. The spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, please show us the entrance to the city, and we will treat you kindly. So he showed them the entrance of the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword. They let the man and all his family go free. The man went into the land of the Huttites and built a city and named it Luz, which It's named to this day. You may think, well, that's so great and kind of them to let this man go. And what does this man do? He goes away and he builds his own city, opposed to God. When the Israelites were supposed to go in, wipe them all out. And I want you to make sure you understand this because I'm not making this up. The Israelites continually mow the front, mow the back. Don't deal with the alley. You'll see it over and over and over again. So get your pen or your pencil ready because I want you to see this again and again and again, how they failed to drive out the people and annihilate them. I want you to see this, okay? So let's look at, and starting in verse 27, it's gonna be a long long passage I'm gonna read here to the end of the chapter, but get your pens ready, okay? So, but Manasseh did not take possession of Beth-shin and its villages, or Tanakh and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Abelam and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages. So the Canaanites persisted in living in that land. It came about when Israel became strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor. Underline, underline. But they did not drive them out completely. Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who were living in Gezer. So the Canaanites lived and Gezer among them. Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Nahalol, so the Canaanites lived among them and became subject to forced labor. Let's just pause for a second and go. They're, they're probably thinking, oh, good idea. Let's not kill them. Let's make them our slaves. What could possibly go wrong? Another tribe says, oh, that's a good idea. Let's not kill them. Let's make them our slaves. What could possibly go wrong? Keep going. Verse 31. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko, or the inhabitants of Sidon, or Alab, or of Aksib, or of Helba, or of Aphek, or of Rehob. So the Asherites lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of Lamph, for they did not drive them out. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Anath, but lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, and the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth and became forced labor. Oh, good idea, let's make them our slaves. Then the Amorites forced the sons of Dan into the hill country, for they did not allow them to come down to the valley. Yet the Amorites persisted in living in Mount Harass and Ajalon and in Shaobim. But when the power of the house of Joseph grew strong, they became forced labor. Once again, make them our slaves. The board of the Amorites ran from the ascent of Akabim from Sela and upwards. We mowed the front. We mowed the back. Looks good. But do you know what incomplete obedience is called? It's called disobedience. And God called them on it. Chapter two, verse one. Now the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum. And he said, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land, which I have sworn to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with them. And as for you, You shall make no covenant with inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. Here it is. But you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? God sees it. Not only did they not take all the land, but now they have the consequences of mixing with the inhabitants of the land. An incomplete obedience to God is disobedience, and the consequences will soon roll in, as I found out back in the summer of the 80s didn't mow the front, made the front look beautiful, didn't uh, mow, made the back look beautiful, didn't mow the alley, and I thought I was doing good. Week after week after week, I thought I was getting away with it until one day, a letter came in the mail. The city of Dallas, with nothing better to do, decided that my grass in the alley was too high. I guess my parents didn't know. But they knew after that we got fined for having too high of grass. I was totally busted. My parents didn't say, we're just so glad you mowed the front and the back. We don't care about the alley. We'll just pay the fine. It doesn't matter. No. Like, you've been not mowing it every single week for how long? Consequences. Busted. What I let slide caused me problems later on. And you may be wondering, so are the Israelites going to have some problems with the people in the land? Are they going to have some issues? Surely the people of Israel who've just been rescued out of Egypt, surely they won't start worshiping their gods, will they? They will. And throughout the rest of the book, the people are doing what is right in their own eyes. And we'll see the cycle week after week. The people, they start bowing down and worshiping the other gods. God brings the enemy to occupy them. The people cry out to God. God gives them a judge, a warrior person, to conquer the enemies. The people are grateful again. And then they go right back to the same sin of worshiping idols and other gods. The cycle happens again. God allows people to occupy and conquer them. The people cry out to God. God sends a judge, delivers them. The people are free and thankful. And then once again, they go back into the same sin over and over and over again. So you may think, what's the big deal? I'm doing good, front, back, alley, does it matter. What's the big deal? It's a very big deal. Because not only were the Israelites missing out on the blessing of occupying the whole land, but they were experiencing the discipline of God. So you may wonder, okay, what's your alley? What's the alley in your life? Let me help you. Let me help you to think through some areas, because you know your own personal life. Let me help you think through some areas. What does it mean that I'm mowing the front, I'm mowing the back, but not the Well, I'm going to give you three different areas to think about. And they all start with M. It's pretty convenient. So I want you to think about the area of money, meeting, and marriage. Money, meeting, and marriage. Let's start with money, okay? Did you know that some of us could be and our lack of generosity to the Lord, to his church, to missionaries, to giving, could have a variety of consequences in our lives. You're like, really? Really? Let me show you a verse from Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, this is not a prosperity gospel verse. And sometimes in evangelical churches, we get so scared of this verse that we don't want to talk about it. But it's talking about giving, yes, of our money to the Lord, and he will give back to us so that we can continue to give. It's a very good cycle of joy. We give to the Lord, to missionaries, to others. Generously, the Lord gives it back, not so we can go buy a Beamer or a Porsche or a big house. No, he gives it back and we give it out again. We we sow and we reap. And some of us don't trust this verse. We don't trust this promise because we don't think, okay, if I give money to the Lord, is he really gonna take care of me? And I wanna tell you this, in my 26 years of being a pastor, I've never had anybody come into my office and say, pastor, I've been giving so much to the Lord and I'm having serious financial problems doing it. Not, not, not once. I've had a lot of beatings uh, about finances and people being reckless with their money and foolish with their money, but not one person who's had an issue that is consistently being generous with the Lord, having financial problems. Just what I've seen. That verse is very important. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly, So sow generously, you reap generously. And maybe some of you have not even thought about it. You're like, that's just an alley portion. My finances are, are off limits but they're not. God won't let them be in off limits. So that's money. Well, what about meeting? What about being my meeting? I mean, getting together. There's a passage in the book of Hebrews that says, and let us consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds, not abandoning our own meeting together as is the habit of some people, but encouraging one another And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So that's an exhortation in the the book of the New Testament of Hebrews saying, we need to keep getting together, meeting together, and the reason is to encourage one another. And I know some of you are, are out of town, you're visiting us here this morning, you don't even live in this state, you don't go to this church. Let me just encourage you in your own church to keep going, keep showing up, Because what can happen since 2020 is some of us can get into a routine of not coming and ignoring community and we can be separated. But once again, God says, come together, be encouraged. Don't ignore that alley portion of your life. And lastly, I wanna speak to the guys in here and the girls can listen if they want, but I wanna talk to the guys in here about marriage. Because guys, you can be a super spiritual person You can show up here, you can teach Sunday school, you can come to the prayer meetings, you could be doing all these great things, but God is not responding or listening to your prayers. And you may think, well, how's that possible? Because there are some things that can hinder God from listening to you, and one of them is the way you treat your wife. Listen to this passage, listen to this. This is, a, and, and Peter, let me put this up for you. First Peter 3, 7, it says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing would hinder your prayers. And, and when, we, when we see that verse in church, everybody likes to argue and talk about what does it mean, weaker partner? What does that mean? And what does that mean? Hey, right now, don't pay attention to that. Pay attention to the last part where it says, God's not gonna listen to your prayers. Because of the way you treat your wife. And so you may look good, front yard, backyard, uh, alley, I don't treat my wife so well. Your prayers will be hindered. Do you see how this works? We want to deal with our lives completely. We want to walk with the Lord, not perfectly, but we want to be open before him. Say, God, deal with whatever. And so if you're here this morning like me and you need to deal with some stuff, you got the front and the back and you need to deal with some of the alley stuff, well, what does that, that look like? All right, finish up here. Verses four and five of chapter two, finish up. Here we go, last two verses. When the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. So they named that place Bochem and there. They sacrifice to the Lord. so they repent by crying out, and they made sacrifices to the Lord for forgiveness. That, that looks pretty good. That looks really good on the surface, but unfortunately, they're crying, they're weeping. I don't think it's legit. And you say, "Well, how do you know it's not legit? because we get a lot more chapters in this book. One of the things I fear for me and for you living in America, living down south, is that showing up at church is enough and we can look really good while ignoring certain areas of our lives. I mean, you could be here this morning and be in some serious relationship issue where you're a huge contributor and you don't want to deal with it because it's messy. Or there's some area you know is super messy and you don't want to deal with. That's how we grow in Jesus is we deal with those areas we don't want to deal with. That's how we mature in Christ. So yes, there came a time I had to mow the alley, and that grass was taller than me. And as I start to mow that alley, I mm, bottles are in there, rocks are in there, bees are shooting. I hate bees. I'm sorry, they scare me. They're shooting at me coming at me. It's a disaster. But I had to deal with it. <laughs> And I noticed you came here this morning just minding your own business. But there are some certain areas you got to deal with. Yes, you want to repent, absolutely. But here's, here's what we don't want to do we don't want it to be superficial repentance with sacrifices that lack integrity. So if you're here this morning, you're like, yeah, I think I need to start dealing with this area. I want to tell you, there is real forgiveness and a sacrifice of Jesus who really did die for sinners like you and like me. And it says specifically that that they sacrificed to the Lord. They had some type of ceremony that they thought forgiveness was part of it. And we're about to have a ceremony of sorts called the Lord's Supper. But do me a huge favor. Do not take this meal if you're going to take it in the vein of the people of Israel. Please don't take this meal if you know, if you know you're just going to take it and not deal with it. Don't do that. Don't just go through the motions of religion. We're talking about a real sacrifice of Jesus for real sins. Yes, even those in the alley, he's here to forgive you and change you. Doesn't mean you'll be perfect, but you'll be forgiven. Grace will be poured out on you. And So take this meal with integrity. Not saying that now you're going to go and be this perfect person. No, you're looking to the perfect person, Jesus Christ. And so we're going to take this meal together. This meal is for those who are believers, those who put their faith in Christ. We're not coming and saying, Jesus, we've been good people. Can we take it now? No, Jesus, we've been bad people, been wicked people, but you're so gracious. We're going to take this meal because you're a gracious God. We're going to take the bread and drink and remember his sacrifice on the cross for us. It really happened. He took our sin for on him instead of on us the wrath was on him he was buried and he and he rose again and the good news is every single person who repents of their sins and put their faith in Jesus can be forgiven